Hello, and welcome back to Anti-Monitor. In advance of the approaching Captain America Civil War, we've decided to pit Cap head-to-head -head with old Tony Stark to see who had the superior sequel, Iron Man 3 or Captain America The Winter Soldier. It's a two-part superhero throwdown! This week, we take a look at Shane Black's Iron Man 3. But first, we're going to talk about what comes after Civil War, Spider-Man's Homecoming. The young web slinger is set to join the Marvel Universe, and he's bringing Robert Downey Jr. along for the ride. So stick around as we take a hard look at Iron Man, A Christmas Story. Oh my gosh, does that suck? <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. You're listening to Anti-Monitor from DoomRocket.com. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. I'm not even going to dignify myself with a response to that. All right. Welcome back to Anti-Monitor, uh, the show where we try to make sense of the senseless in cinema. Isn't that right? My name's Matt Birdman Fleming, and with me as always, Jared Jones, editor-in-chief of DoomRocket.com, a.k.a. Tony Snark. Oh, Snark. Well, you know, I mean, there's worse things to be called. Yeah, I've been called them, probably. That's true. Mm. Uh, so, we're pretty excited because Captain America Civil War is coming up. Yeah. Um, and we have decided to do a first mm. for Anti-Monitor and do a little uh, thematic back-to-back. -back. Yeah, yeah, two-parter. A little one-two punch. Yeah, you've got Anti-Monitor coming at you weekly for the next two weeks. This week, Iron Man 3. And next week, we evaluate Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And I'll tell you what, if our screening today is any indication of how uh, a movie can really grow on you after some time away, sure. it'll be interesting because I haven't, I haven't taken that wild roller coaster ride of a Winter Soldier Ooh. in quite, well, I don't think since it came out, actually. Well, that's definitely something we'll talk about next week. Well, so this is like a Marvel Super Spectacular. They, yeah. That's something that they used to do in comics, right? Yeah. Super Spectaculars. Uh, the giant-sized. Giant-sized, yeah, 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 that's right. Um, so, to lead into that, we're going to talk a little bit about what comes after Civil War. Yeah. Um, which, of course, we all know is Reconstruction. Oh, absolutely. And picking up the pieces. Yeah, not just for Marvel Studios, but for Sony as well. Sony Pictures has famously made the deal with Marvel Comics. They are now splitting Spider-Man. Which Peter... is bonkers. Yeah, Peter Parker's a timeshare now, apparently. <laughs> All right, I've run out of patience. On to Ruth! Hey, everyone. So Spider-Man, as we know, has its subtitle, the new film, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, which is, I think, kind of silly. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to it because I think we're going to actually get some some serious high school because we got a young, legitimately young Peter Parker for the first yeah. time. 17 years old, this kid. And so we're going to get to actually see Peter Parker in high school. Well, uh, he was in know, high school in the Raimi movie. But like barely. I mean, it was kind of like 90210, where like they're teenagers, but they're 40 years old. And it lasted like 15 minutes. Like, yeah. you know, I want to see Peter Parker take presumably Mary Jane to a dance. Well, yeah. You know, and have like that awkward moment where he, you know, he's Spider Man. Uh, he's got all of these, you know, 
Magic powers. Magic power. Radioactive powers. All these radioactive special powers, but oops, he accidentally gets a boner while he's dancing with his girlfriend. Okay, so that's where you want it to go. You want Spider-Man to be like a Apatovian uh, freaks and geeks kind of thing, right? No, no, no. I want to see a real uh, teenager dealing with the... You know, the problems that come with being a teenager, being a teenager and a and superhero happening, happening to be Spider-Man. Well, that's what made Spider-Man always awesome. Stan Lee got it. Brian Michael Bendis got it. I mean, the only problem with Spider-Man was that they let him grow up. Uh, but he's a teenager again in the reboot, the third Spider-Man reboot of our lives. And he's not going to be alone. No, no that's right. He's going to have a mentor. A mentor. And uh, that mentor is the subject of uh, today's conversation, Mr. Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark himself, who we can only presume survives the end of Civil War. That was what really shocked me. Is yeah. I was like, I, I read that uh, on The Hollywood Reporter. I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, spoiler alert. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, well, that's, I mean, that's the bitch of it, isn't it? Because, like, you have to cover, uh, you know, the piecemeal that we get from major studios. And we live in a 24-hour cycle of news and I mean, people have written at length the, the the mechanics of it and how it's detrimental to spoiler culture and all that. So yeah, spoilers, Tony Stark survives Civil War. However, I'm all about having Robert Downey Jr. in a Spider-Man movie because it feels like it, like you know, Sony's serious about playing ball with Marvel and uh, also being able to play with an Avenger here or there. More toys in the toy box is good for everybody, in my opinion. You know, and I think Disney is not going to have a, too much of a problem Letting someone else foot a little bit of that Robert Downey Jr. bill. <laughs> yeah, you I know? heard that the uh, the uh, deal that they had to strike up was buku bucks for RDJ. So, well, which isn't surprising. Hmm. He's making that Avengers money. Oh yeah, absolutely. He is avenging his bank account, <laughs> and he is avenging those uh, years out in the wilderness when he was a lost soul. Yeah, uh, you know, post chaplain. Yeah, post chaplain. We live in a post chaplain world. We where really do. Where Robert Downey Jr. has his shit together and is easily the you know top five movie stars in the world. The guy's my fucking hero. He's so great. He's awesome. And it's uh, it's it's good to, to know that there's going to be a real through line. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, it's just about time the smart people at Marvel got to take a crack at Spider-Man because as good as the Sam Raimi the two and a half. Of the Sam Raimi movies were, sure. it felt like it was coming from, you know, an external place. This was a movie maker deciding to get into the comic game. Whereas now we've got a firmly established team at Marvel Studios that, you know, can kind of strike a balance between being comic book people, and being movie people, mm-hmm. and that's kind of reassuring, don't you think? Yeah. I've been disappointed so much with Spider-Man in the last, I don't know, how long is we how long have we lived in a post-wasteland of uh, Spider-Man 3 for too long, if you ask me. Um, I have a good feeling about Spider-Man. I didn't think I would, because I wanted Asa Butterfield to be Peter Parker. But what's more, I didn't want Peter Parker. I wanted Miles Morales. I thought his time had come. I thought that, you know, maybe Marvel really wanted to make a splash. That would have been the splash, but it's not. So we take the bed that we're given and we lay in it. And I like Spider-Man the way he looks. He's got that John Romita, you know, thing going on with the webbing on his suit. His eyes like squidge, you know. You know Stark had a hand in that costume. 
you know, dopey Peter Parker did not make that costume himself. Um, so it, it just, it, it feels right. And it feels good to have him there. It has, it feels good to have him in the Marvel universe. Yeah. You know, and all we really need to do now is, uh, get someone to infiltrate Fox mm-hmm. to wrestle the Fantastic Four away. Man, you know, I was really hoping Mark Miller, uh, you know, who worked with Marvel for a long time and now has his own little Miller world, uh, through, uh, Image Comics and various other publishers. He uh, used to be the uh, the guru, the comic book guru for Fox Studios. You know, he helped them get, you know, X-Men, you know, recalibrated. He helped them with Fantastic Four, whatever that came from. But uh, he might have been the guy who would have been able to broker a deal if that deal was ever on the table, which I doubt. Since Deadpool happened now... Fox ain't doing shit. They don't have to do shit. They'll sit on Fantastic Four till doomsday if that's what it takes. Uh, this is the dark, spiteful nature of capitalism. Although I would love to see the Baxter building in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That would be something. And to have Reed Richards playing around with like T'Challa, the Black Panther, two of the smartest people in the world just like chatting about shit. And then Tony Stark going, how come you guys didn't invite me? I want things like that. But it is not to be. Yeah, you know, and uh, you get... Mark Ruffalo's, uh, you know, Bruce Banner floating around in space looking for a planet mm-hmm. or something, assumedly. Uh, yeah, and then Galactus pops up, and that would be your fucking Infinity War right there. Ooh, and wouldn't it be awesome if Galactus wasn't a fucking cloud? Yeah, wouldn't that be something? That would be great. God, you know if Marvel's had it, you know he'd have the skirt. Galactus would be walking around in his ding-dang skirt, his thighs showing. Cool-ass helmet. Big-ass helmet. They, yeah. they wouldn't give a fuck. They wouldn't care. They'd be like, here's your Galactus. There it is. And all of us would be like, oh, my God, that looks incredible. You know, and that and, you know, we're getting on kind of a tangent now. Yeah. But I mean, that's kind of one of the things I'm most curious about for X-Men Apocalypse is mm-hmm. they when they show Apocalypse beginning in the, <laughs> uh, yeah. to put it lightly, to, you know, getting large sized. Uh, that's always been my favorite thing about Apocalypse was just the fact that he could, if he felt like it, I'm just going to just get giant. Just get huge. Uh, and so, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that because they clearly weren't able to handle Galactus. As great as the Silver Surfer looked, the, uh, Galactus is more than a cloud. It is a cloud. And then they did it again in Green Lantern. It's like nobody learns from their mistakes or other people's mistakes. They're just like, let's make a movie. What kind of movie? Superhero movie. Okay, well, what's the villain? I don't know. In the comics, he's huge. So what do we do with that? Ah, can't afford that. Make him a cloud. All right. Didn't they do that in that Fantastic Four? It doesn't matter. Just make him a cloud. Yeah, yeah. It worked in that. Yeah. Well, more yeah. like making him a clown. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You have come where you are unwelcome. Your hour is struck. Your final page is written. Uh, to rein it back in, this has been a long crazy ride for the marvel universe Mm -hmm. look where we are now yeah we've got uh two avengers movies we've got uh the universe expanding we're bringing in awesome characters like black panther Uh, ant-man's gonna be in this next movie you know dr strange dr strange is around the corner how did we get here how did how did we get to the place where we are where Fucking civil war is about to happen mm-hmm. on the screen. It, it began. All, it began with one movie. Began with one movie. One singular surprise hit, mm-hmm. and that was 
Iron Man. Yeah. The truth is, I am Iron Man. And that brings us now fast forward to the movie that we're talking about today. Mm. Iron Man 3. 3. Thrice. Trust me, you're going to be in a puddle of blood on the ground in 5, 4, 3, come on! 2. How did we get this shit? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Three Iron Man movies. I know. Uh, and Iron Man was always in the past considered like a a second-rate hero. Yeah, B-list. B-list. Yeah. And Despite the fact he was uh, part of the Avengers trifecta, no one really gave a shit at one point about the Avengers. It's true. Robert Downey Jr. just decided to hit the Grand Slam of all Grand Slams by landing in this role and perfecting yeah. it. And giving himself and his generations uh, a safety net to own an island if they want. Yeah. Uh, Iron Man 3, of course, is the first film in the tri trilogy, if you will, uh, that wasn't held by Jon Favreau. Yeah. He was still on, obviously, as uh, Happy Hogan and in an executive producing role. Yeah, you could still feel his hand here, but this movie belongs to Shane Black. Shane Black, a man who we discussed uh, minimally the last time we got together. It, you knew it was happening. You knew this was coming right after Predator. Um, Shane Black, for me, was... When I heard that he was directing Iron Man 3, I was like, that's perfect. That is perfect. Especially after the shithole clusterfuck that Iron Man 2 was. This... I mean, as a franchise, it's the Avengers franchise. You, you can say what you want about a trilogy. What a trilogy. Iron Man's in all these damn movies. He was even in The Incredible Hulk. So it's like... It's a series. It's a saga. And if you're going to punctuate them with solo films... You better make sure that your pedigree is solid. And Shane Black nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. He is uh, a master of action. Yeah. And we both uh, suffered from uh, diminishing expectations when we saw this movie in the theater. Yeah. I remember. Well, I think that's because we pumped it up so big in our brains. You remember when the trailer dropped? Could never forget. We watched that trailer sitting next to each other in our tiny aunt, our the first apartment we ever had in Chicago. This tiny little apartment, and you and me huddled over this little laptop watching the Iron Man 3 trailer over and over and over again. And this was a very similar circumstance to seeing the trailer for The Dark Knight Rises for the first time. Yeah. Which is to say, we would be at work, and you would be quoting the Mandarin, you'll oh. never see me coming. Yeah, I did that a lot. And... It was just like this looming thing. Like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. I, I did it, too, with uh, James Spader's Ultron. I used to go, I'm going to show you something beautiful. you know. And I said it like a thousand times. So I think I jinx movies when I actually start quoting villains. Because I quoted Bane, too, a lot now that I think about it. Yeah, you, it has to be you jinxing them I'm jinxing. and not the, Marvel, uh, the people behind Marvel films kind of blowing it with every villain. Now, we can get into the Mandarin in a little bit. Um... But I remember the first time we saw this movie, very first day that it hit theaters, and me just not liking this movie at all. Like, I was enjoying it up until a certain part, and then, spoiler alert... They pulled the rug out from under you. Right. The, like, all the two years prior, you're getting all these little news bits about how Sir Benjamin Kingsley's the big villain in Iron Man 3, and who's the villain? He's gonna be the Mandarin. The villain they've been building towards since 
Iron Man 1 where they're talking about the, the Ten Rings and then Iron Man 2 is peppered there and there. Just little Easter eggs, but they're there. And then all of a sudden, boom, Ben Kingsley's the fucking Mandarin. It's like, I can't get over it. This is an, an amazing thing. True story about fortune cookies. They look Chinese. They sound Chinese. But they're actually an American invention. Which is why they're hollow, full of lies, and leave a bad taste in the mouth. And it, and felt, then it, it felt special because right. it was like this... They were taking on global terror, mm -hmm. and it was going to be like, you know, Iron Man versus the, uh, uh, you know, ISIS, basically. Pretty much. Um, but then they chickened out. Or did they? Now, going back and watching this movie again, now that the expectations that have been spoiled have healed and reformed and are now set their sights to films beyond Iron Man 3, um, I can sit back now and watch this movie, and you know what? It's a damn hilarious and fun-ass movie to watch. It's true. It has problems. Uh, it's, it's got, got some problems. It's got some bloat to it. Yep. Uh, you get probably, you know, it clocks in about two hours, ten minutes. I'd say you could cut about ten minutes from it and tighten it up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I can honestly say, too, after rewatching it, I don't think I under understood the depth of the plot the first time around. Mm. Um, and maybe it was the shock of the twists and turns because yes. there are a few. Yeah, the, um, I called it the bait and switch back then. It was a bait and switch and bait and switch again. And, yeah, uh, somebody was baiting too much and doing a little <laughs> heavy with the switching. Mm. But upon retrospect, giving it another watch, there's it, it's thrilling. Yeah, uh, like you said, it's funny. Yeah, it's really it's, funny. It's uh, an exceptional job on the hands of uh, Drew Pierce. And Shane Black, yeah, at injecting some humor, yeah, into some pretty heavy, you know, uh, subject matter. PTSD. Mm -hmm. The crazy guy is trying to, you know, take over the world. A looming left. threat, a looming unknown threat, and that's exactly what this movie does. Is that it makes it doesn't make light, but it makes it palatable to a very wide audience. Iron Man three. Um, became a more structured funny like it relied less and less on the ad libby hey let's have a marvel paid marvel bot vacation with all our really cute friends and film iron man 2 yeah iron man 2 was like the uh, oceans 12 of this it really was it made me feel like you know robert downey jr and Gwyneth paltrow and john favreau and you know mickey Rourke. Well, maybe not mickey Rourke, but uh, definitely sam rockwell were all just like partying all the time and then like they have to wake up at six and do a makeup uh call and then like they'd be all hung over and they're just like let's just ad lib let's just ad lib oh today's with sam jackson let's just film in a donut shop i'm fucking exhausted that's what iron man 2 felt like to me iron man 3 has a little more discipline it's a little more focused you do say it has bloat and you can pinpoint where that bloat lies that's how structured it is. Mm -hmm. It's like, yep, you could have trimmed it, but you kept it in for deliberate reasons. And the one thing I appreciate the most about Iron Man 3, it's the most self-contained since Iron Man 1. There's no lingering plot threads to the other Marvel movies. It picks up from the Avengers, because Tony's suffering from post-wormhole stress disorder, and a couple of other you know notable like S.H.I.E.L.D isms and easter eggs here but there's no ellipsis at the end of this movie as a matter of fact by the end of this movie you're thinking to yourself 
is this it? No more Iron Man? What? No more Tony Stark? How? You know, because at the end, it has a stinger. But what's the stinger? It's fucking Mark Ruffalo just listening to RDJ unload on him. He's like, I'm not that kind of doctor. And it's like, it's cute. It It is self-serving. And it is, like, it's a cute pat on the back. Yeah. Whereas, uh, yeah, you you kind of left wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, again, things that really make sense seeing the movie again. Yeah. When he looks down at the end of his uh, crumbled kingdom, kind of. Yeah. You know, he has grown. Very much. So much over the three movies. Mm-hmm. And he just picks up a screwdriver. And he, you know, that was one of the most brilliant things about this movie that brought it back to... Iron Man 1 mm-hmm. is that you're a genius. You Tony. put him back in the cave. Yeah, you put him back in the cave. You're a mechanic, so build something, says kid. Says kid. <laughs> yeah. And so what does he do? He goes to like Home Depot yeah. and makes himself. He fixes that little college arm robot thingy that he has. Because he... <laughs> he, he survived the fall somehow. You know, but it, it's uh, at the time, I had the gripe that. It's an Iron Man movie without Iron Man. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he is it Iron proves Man. proves the point. Yeah. You know, it's the man that makes the suit, yeah. not the suit that makes the man. In a lesser movie, it would have been the other way around. Like, um, I'm not going to name names Amazing Spider Man 2, but like when you realize that Peter Parker and Spider Man are pretty much two different characters in this movie, yet you, you've completely missed the point. They have to be interchangeable. And that's what I, there's a great argument going on through the comics community right now of what purpose does a secret identity have in an internet world where everyone knows everyone else's secrets um i would say that a secret identity doesn't need to apply to tony stark because his personality is so pervasive his personality would have came through that suit no matter what he did to try to obscure it it would have happened anyway and he knew it by the end of iron man one he was like trying to give that bullshit speech that shield wrote for him and he was like Eh, you know what? Tosses the cards behind his shoulder. I am Iron Man. And that's what makes the character so great. And they remembered it again in the third one. The second one is just such a bizarre movie. Maybe we'll revisit it someday. But Iron Man 3 is one of those flicks where it you have to remind yourself, yeah, this is a Marvel movie. This is a Disney Marvel movie. So it's like the shit they got away with, you really have to hand it, hand it to Shane Black because there's some R-rated tendencies in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. He, he calls that cute, adorable little kid from Jurassic World a pussy. Pardon my <laughs> language at home, people. That was awesome for me. I was like, shit, am I in 1986 again? This is Yeah, cool. I forgot all about that. Yeah. And like, um, you know, uh, there's a big gap between PG-13 and R, yeah. and which is generally blood. Mm-hmm. So you could make... You know, the same movie. It's like when they made Expendables 3, they just basically cut all the blood and got a PG-13 rating. That's how you do it. But this movie gets away with glowing, uh, you know, scary hot villains (laughs) sticking their glowing hot hands into each other, into people. Into bloated sheriffs. Yeah. Cutting off limbs left and right. I mean, and, and it gets spooky, too, because even though it's like Hollywood magic as a certain... Benjamin Kingsley says later on, you know, there's that moment where uh, the Mandarin or what is believed to be the Mandarin has this Trevor. guy from, yeah, ha- has a gun pointed to the guy from Roxxon and it's being screened on every television in America and 
president is being implored to call him and he shoots him in the head anyway as the phone rings to illustrate a point that i have you over a barrel and i don't i'm just gonna continue to fuck you anyway and that's what i really liked about the mandarin so let's talk about the mandarin for a minute the which one well that's the thing is that the build-up for this villain in the film not in our minds or what we read into it but the villain in the movie, there was always something off. You only saw him in videos, and the videos were chilling. They were really well made, but they were too well made. It's like, okay, so this is propaganda. But who'd he hire to do his propaganda? Because this guy's spectacular. Toyota should hire this guy to do their commercials. They're yeah, this is like the best PR firm in the world. It's like if Terrence Malick decided he wanted to go into advertising, that's what the Mandarin videos looked like. They were really great. Um... But you only see him there. He's always spoken about. You never see him directly. And, of course, those ten rings have powers. So you were like, when are we seeing the powers? When are we seeing the Mandarin? Is he coming around the corner right now? No, he's not. So you keep waiting until finally you're in the tail end of the second act. And you're like, there's still no Mandarin. What the fuck's going on? All we're dealing with is a beach... Um, <laughs> Bottle blonde Guy Pierce talking about DNA and next evolutionary steps and whatever. Referring then, to the master. And, and the master. So I'm keep thinking, there's going to be a Mandarin coming. And then Tony Stark confronts the Mandarin himself. And what do we get? Hello, I'm Trevor. Trevor Slattery. Nice to meet you. Then comes me some drugs and I've got this bucket of ice cold Budweiser's. Want one? They gave me things. They gave me things. You know, it's like, the fuck am I? What? I remember the minute it happened. I was like, nope. Nope. I'm out. My I felt I felt your temperature change <laughs> yeah. right next to me. I went ice cold at, the second that happened. I was like, I checked out for the rest of the movie. I was just so disappointed. It took me right out. And it really frustrated me. And that's the big lesson I learned with Iron Man 3 is to temper my expectations. Expectations for people are just so bizarre to me now. I used to be one of these people, but like I've, through the years of being a geek and like living in geek culture, I mean, you have to watch me do it. You do it too. You know, it's not just me. That's but, true. Um, when you allow yourself to be so disappointed that you miss the point of the entire film, then you're not engaging it. And I didn't engage it the day it came out. <laughs> but now looking back on it, we got to sit down, spend the afternoon together watching Iron Man 3. I enjoyed the shit out of it. Oh, I, yeah. I enjoyed the switch. It was intelligent. It was sharp. It made sense to the story, and it drove it further. Like, I mean... the. We were never going to get the Mandarin as we wanted him because we live in the 21st fucking century and no one in their right mind would put a character like the Mandarin in a Disney movie. No, it's an outdated villain. and But it's a clever way to, to, to take it yeah. because at the end of the day, one of the best motivations for any villain is just cold-hearted revenge. Yeah. And that's what this is all about. This is about... A scientist who was, uh, you know, limping and ugly and... Uh, but hopeful and, and optimistic. And then Tony Stark, back when he was a swinger, uh, crushed that optimism. Yeah. And drove Aldrich Killian to the, the brink of suicide 
And then that's where the... Yeah. Bottom to the edge. And, yeah. Took him to desperation. Yeah. Desperation row. And then, and you know, think about uh, all the great storylines that are driven by just pure, like, well-planned revenge. Mm-hmm. The Gone Girl of all things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just see what someone who has loosened that screw but has all these resources and has a tight plan. Mm-hmm. And this guy just straight up abducted, uh, you know... The Not president. A, yeah. Well, I was going to say, he, he formed an army of yeah. um, jaded soldiers who had lost arms and mm-hmm. you know limbs and things like that and gave them the promise of regeneration. And, and to be more, to serve a purpose again. Um, it's such a compelling and understated part of the movie is the second act when, you know, Tony's home has been destroyed and he's been... Jarvis accidentally rocketed him off to Tennessee and he's got to chill with this kid for a bit. But there's that moment in the bar where he sits down with a, a mother to one of these soldiers who accidentally exploded because of the extremist protocol. And she's, you know, sitting at that bar. She's got an empty drink. Tony has the exact drink she had because the bartender probably knows what it was. She's been there night in, night out since the day her son killed all these people or she thought. And she thinks that Tony's going to help her. And you hear the scorch in her voice. You know, she's been smoking too much, not taking care of herself. She's falling apart. And you see a a glimmer of humanity, like real, tangible humanity, not Disney humanity, like real stuff. And it's there, and it's subtext. It's not in your face. It's there for you to appreciate if you notice it. And I noticed it this time around. And I appreciated it. It's crazy. Yeah. How, yeah, the cooler heads prevailing mm-hmm. reveal Iron Man 3 to be such a deep movie. Yeah. yeah. And, like you said earlier, fun. Oh, so much fun. There's a lot of good action in this movie. Let's talk about Don Cheadle for a second. Oh, you want to talk about the cheats? I want to talk about the you cheats. You want to talk about Big Don? I'm going to find a heavy-duty comp set right now. I need your login. It's the same as it's always been, War Machine 68. And password, please? Well, look, i got to change it every time you hack in, Tony. It's not the 80s. Nobody says hack anymore. Give me your login. War Machine rocks with an X, all caps. Don Don Cheadle in a fucking green polo shirt and some slacks. And he's inside the Iron Patriot armor. He's just flying around. See, that wasn't, wasn't, uh, you know, uh, Colonel Rhodes. That was Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle showed up to work that day Mm -hmm. dressed like Don Cheadle (laughs) in his polo shirt and his pressed slacks. And he's like, all right, guys, well, what are we going to do? Oh, okay, I got to go fight some dudes and I'm going to shoot my gun. Yeah, I'm going to fly to Pakistan and scare the shit out of some godforsaken cave. Because because the Iron Man franchise turned Don Cheadle into a straight-up, action star he was so oh so good like he's hopping around things he's got a gun like he's so like he's a soldier he's a colonel in this man's army you know Mm -hmm. tony stark's got a suit of armor and he fought with thor and captain america but he barely made it in one piece and he's falling apart at the seams towards that uh end battle sequence and neither of them have a suit and they're just like surrounded by uh aldrich killian's uh extremist soldiers and all they have are two guns. And Tony's like, I'm out of bullets. Give me your bullets. And he's like, they're not interchangeable. That's not the right gun. you know. And it's like, Cheadle's got it. He has this. He's like, but I need a suit. 
because I have to go save the fucking president. You yeah. need to go fight your nemesis. I got a jo- real job to do. I have a service to my country. And you know what? I don't think Terrence Howard could have no. gone on in this franchise and no. been nearly the success that uh, the Cheeds is. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I watch Empire every week. I know you do. And Terrence Howard is good at being smarmy. He's not funny in the way that the Cheeds can be funny. Now, see, Terrence Howard in the first Iron Man film, I liked him so much I was disappointed to see that he was leaving. Because he did have that, like, I love you, Tony, you're my best friend, I'll do anything for you, but you piss me off so much all the time. I That was the dichotomy I got there. In Iron Man 2, Cheadle genuinely loves Tony, like a brother. He worries about him. He doesn't get angry with him ever, which I felt was kind of, at the beginning when I saw Iron Man 2, a betrayal of that character because I felt that that was the established dichotomy. But Cheadle, actor that he is, magnificent actor that he is, decided that he was going to create something new for this character. So when you see him in Iron Man 3, his second outing as the War Machine, um, you really actually feel for this guy. And when you see him bopping around in that suit of armor, you get a little charge, you get pumped because, yeah, War Machine isn't a ding-dang Marvel movie. Yeah, and the humanity that Cheadle brings to this to the franchise mm-hmm. is that, like, here is this rattled superstar genius Tony Stark who has three friends you know the Avengers are like you know they're co-workers part-time buddies yeah um but this is the one guy that he trusts with his armor Mm -hmm. uh at least the stuff that you know isn't all coded to him yeah but it that speaking of that the sweetest little reveal in this movie is that Tony has secretly had Pepper coded for all his suits. And she can wear them whenever she wants. That's sweet to me. Like, in the trailer, when the house explodes because of those uh, helicopters, you watch the trailer and the suit of armor, like Mark 42, is just snapping all over Tony. And we're like, yeah, that's fucking sweet. But in the movie, Tony activates Mark 42. And what does it do? It covers Pepper. And what does Pepper do with the suit? Oh, he saved me. No, she saves his ass. She, like, turns around and goes, I got you. Come on. And then she takes Rebecca Hall out of the house. And we'll talk about Rebecca Hall in a second. And, you know, that's just, like, a great little taste of what she was going to do towards the end of this movie. Gwyneth Paltrow rules, in my opinion. In my estimation. I think she's great. And, And not just that, but, like, her Pepper Potts. Is a badass. She is. Like, Team Tony Stark, Team Iron Man is awesome. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. going into Civil War thinking that, you know, my sensibilities are going to be all uh, Team Cap. But watching this, I'm kind of like, yeah. I might be Team Tone. Yeah, that's the... That's what I. That's why I felt like it was such a great idea to do this Marvel back-to-back thing. Because even though it is yet another superhero slugfest... There are stakes. This was the natural progression of this story. Is There's more stakes than a chop house in this. Exactly. You know, you know, Civil War is going to be like a culmination of all these really crazy events. Like there's, This is the big payoff. Tragically, it has to happen in a Captain America movie, but hopefully they'll find a way to reconcile that in a way that makes perfect sense for not just the story, but to fit in Cap's story as well. As the motivation goes, you're right. I... Sitting on the fence right now, like looking over at Team Iron Man, going, maybe the Sokovla like uh, the treaty is supposed to happen. 
Captain Rogers, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're wrong. <laughs> you know, it's 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 so it's so cool that that they figured this out. They cracked the code because you you watch Donna Justice and it's just like, yeah, they need to fight. Why? Because movie. All right. In Civil War, they're gonna fight because of Age of Ultron, because Iron Man three. Because Winter Soldier, so on and so forth. Like, this is just stuff that needed to happen. These characters were always going to be diametrically opposed to each other. And, but they have a home. They have a family. They have people to think about. And we know this because these movies have been so thoughtfully composed. Yeah, isn't it weird what happens when you treat a comic book franchise like the serial that it is inherently. Mm -hmm. You don't just, you know, uh, with the case of the Amazing Spider-Mans, you don't just go, well, he's Spider-Man. Yep. Um, and his motivation is he likes this girl, mm -hmm. but he can't touch her, but he's got to touch her. And then <laughs> and then crazy stuff happens, yeah. and he's got to do stuff, and well, then she's dead, but he's like, eh, okay. Yeah. I could, I could still be this. Or you look at uh, the DC you know, uh, cluster fart that is going on right now. And yeah, they're just like, going on over there. they're like, all right, we got to play catch up. Uh, what are we going to do? Throw everything in there. Hope something sticks and nothing stuck. Uh, and so now we've got, how many movies have made it up to where we are? We, uh, with civil war, there will be 13 Marvel movies. Jeez Louise. 13. That's incredible. Isn't it? And 13 of these things. And they're just, they're just, they keep going. Yeah. You know, we, we haven't even been back out into space yet. No. Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I have to keep reminding myself that amid all this crazy inf uh, Infinity War shit that's going to be happening soon, Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be in it too. It, apparently Thanos isn't going to be in it. I don't know what they're going to do about that, but um, that could just be subterfuge. My big takeaway with Iron Man 3 is that it's not the ending, it's not the end of Tony Stark, it's... The beginning. The weird thing is, is that we're not going to see this character progress this naturally for a while. But something gives me hope. And the hope did not come in this movie. This hope came after this movie. As a matter of fact, it came with the uh, supplemental material for Thor The Dark World's DVD Blu-ray re uh, release. In the short film entitled All Hail the King. Now, All Hail the King was a short film. And Marvel's made a couple of these now. Um, that deals solely with Trevor Slattery and how he's acclimating in prison. Everyone thinks he's the Mandarin, or was the Mandarin. They're in prison, they don't know any better. So they treat him like a like a, the movie star he always wanted to be. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. It's spectacular. It's seven minutes long. Shame on you. We have it right over there. You should watch it. But um, I'm about to spoil it for you. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, he's getting an interview uh, with one of the outlets. So pretty much it's a slice of life day for him. It's like how he goes about his day. Um, what's he going to do in this interview? What's he going to say? He's not going to say anything. He's Trevor Slattery. And it's really great. There's this moment where like all this huge King's like, Hey, hey, hey Trevor, Trevor, do the thing, do the thing. He's like, you want me to do the thing? He's like, yeah, do the thing. He's like, okay, okay. You're ready for it. You're ready. You'll never see me coming. You know? And everyone goes, oh, you're awesome. And they all give each other high fives, and it's fucking awesome. Um, so they end up, ends up sitting in front of this uh, 
a reporter played by Scoot McNary. And you're like, that's kind of a bigger name that needs to be for the next two minutes that's left of this movie. Turns out that he has a tattoo on his wrist of the Ten Rings that he works for the Mandarin. Because the real Mandarin has always been real. It appears that Mr. Aldrich Killian took what he thought was an urban myth and spun it into this characteristic grotesquerie when in actuality the real Mandarin's been in the shadows all along, way before us and way after us, presumably, because he doesn't need to strike. But Trevor has forced his hand. Trevor has to go. What happens to Trevor, I'll leave. That's the one thing I won't spoil for you. Um, but that's what gives me hope for an Iron Man 4. If Robert Downey Jr. is going to be in Spider-Man, that means Tony Stark's story is not done yet. Civil War is not the end of Tony Stark's story, apparently. Unless Spider-Man Homecoming is a prequel or something. But um, I really want, after I, watching Iron Man 3 again today, I really, really, really want an Iron Man 4. I want to see Pepper again. I want to see Rhodey. I want to have all these guys get back together and take on... At one final bow. That's what I want. Just one more Iron Man movie. And then after that, you could retire the character. And you know what? Mm. I want Shane I want Shane Black on that. I want Shane Black on a lot more movies. I'm, I can't wait for the nice guys. That movie's going to fucking rule. I can't wait to see this movie. Yeah, wow. So, uh, is there anything else you want to uh, touch on before we wrap things up? No. You I mentioned Rebecca Hall. And let's just leave it at her <sighs> character, her performance, one of the... Definitely one of the weak points of this movie. Rebecca Hall might be my least favorite working actor today. I mean, she's just such a non-entity to me. She was in... Uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. She was in Transcendence with Johnny Depp. Oh, wow. And, and I mean, ev no one walked away from that one clean, but she, she was the one... She, I walked away from that one clean because I didn't walk into that thing. Yeah, well, that, she she was the one that, that, that was the emotional linchpin for that film. So it's like, obviously she couldn't shoulder the burden because the movie's way too ponderous and stupid to begin with. But, I mean, any performance, I mean, if you can't make Morgan Freeman do it, then poor poor Rebecca Hall can't either. And so why did, you, why did you go with her? Why didn't you go for a Kate Winslet or someone else who could handle the material? at least somewhat more ably than she could. In Iron Man 3, I was like, oh, there you are. I know who you are. Oh, God. Yeah, she, she really you're gonna, is. You're uh, going to be evil, aren't you? You're going to be evil. You're going to screw somebody over, aren't you, Rebecca Hall? And sure enough, that's what happens. Yeah, and, you know, uh, underrated as he is, uh, Eldritch Killian. Uh, Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce is Fierce. Guy Fierce. Guy Fierce. I love Guy Pierce. Since the days of LA Confidential, I've always been on the Guy Pierce train. Yeah, Memento. The Proposition. Uh, that other one. <laughs> what, a, what a guy, that guy. Yeah, he's a guy. Uh, yeah, you know, it's awesome. I love when we can do this, when we can uh, reverse expectations. You, you take away, that's one of the nice things about spoilers, mm -hmm. is you take away that gut wrenching and you just focus on what's there yeah you know with this movie you got to see all those iron man suits just zip zap zip zap as useless as blow, they were blow, blow, blow. only became essential to the movie because the script needed it to but whatever yeah i agree it was cool to see him you know and then uh you get the the one shot that 
was in all of the kind of uh, photos that were leaked early. Uh, or maybe not even leaked, but the Iron Man saving all those people from Air Force One. Man, that was a great sequence. It was awesome. That was even better watching it again out of the theater, even though I enjoyed it in the theater. Um, yeah. This is one of those movies that like really merits repeat viewings. And for some reason, I hadn't watched it again since we left the theater because I hadn't wanted to. But now I'm glad I did. This is at least the second time that this has happened. You know, uh, it happened with Superman Returns. Yeah. It happened with Iron Man 3. Uh, oh, it, it, for you, it kind of happened with Ant-Man, too. Yeah, it did. I enjoyed Ant-Man a lot more the second viewing. It's nice when, you know, we don't have to uh, pull our collective pants down and, uh, you know, figuratively defecate on, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of the fare that we sit down with for this. So, you with me? It was, yeah. We're, we were at... Uh, you actively napping? I, I was... I, I, I drifted. Where did I lose you? elevator in switzerland so you heard none of it i'm sorry i'm not that kind of doctor however to wrap things up here's my question yeah in uh over the course of iron man one two and three who do you think because there were what five villains overall sure yeah who do you think was the least effective hmm. Uh, worst, if you will. Who was the worst of the five uh, villains? You know, it's funny. The, one of the first lists I ever did for Doom Rocket was the worst villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I, I almost did all of them for my man. Like, that was going to be number three, all of them, Iron Man series. Um, But the worst of the bunch had to be Mickey Rourke's Whiplash. He was just completely, utterly useless and pointless. Like, Justin Hammer should have been Whiplash, in my opinion, Iron Man 2. They should have just zipped up the two characters, given Justin Hammer some Russian background or whatever they needed to do to make it work. But to have these two characters, it was just too much. It was havoc. More and, like Justin Credulous. Well, I mean, Mickey Rourke, had his little uh, renaissance at that time. He had just come off an Academy Award nomination for The Wrestler, and it was nice to see him in a, doing it like a Marvel movie, but this was not the movie for him to do it. It really wasn't. I was woefully disappointed in it Mickey was a, Rourke. a wasted performance. Uh, it was brief, and uh, very, it, that was a real serious case of not living up to the hype. I thought it was going to be awesome, uh, and it wasn't. And what was? He always had a toothpick. He had a toothpick in his mouth when they were fighting at, at the racetrack at the at the in Milan. He had a toothpick in his mouth when he was talking about his parrot. Here's my theory about that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, when Don Cheadle shows up to work, he's wearing his Don Cheadle clothes, mm -hmm. and then he turns into uh, Rhodey. With Mickey Rourke, if you notice. Uh, in the Expendables movies, he shows up uh, here and there, and he's always got his little tiny dog. The um, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, he shows yeah. up there. He's got his tiny dog. He likes uh, his dog. Darren Aronofsky had the, uh, got the best performance out of him for The Wrestler because yeah. he took away his pets. He did. Uh, John Favreau let <laughs> let Mickey Rourke have pets. All the and time. Like, and the, he's like, you know, uh, hey, uh, Mick, what do, you, do you think maybe you could like deliver your lines without the toothpick? No, I don't think so, man. It's not gonna happen. No, you know I don't, I don't think that's gonna happen. Where's my bird? You know, that, there's a whole scene about that fucking bird. He's like, I found my bird. A bird from Russia? No. I, I want my bird. You want a bird? I want my bird. I want my bird. It's sad. It is sad. 
Well, that's all we have for you this week at Anti-Monitor. Do not forget that next week we will have for you our evaluation of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. It's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a twofer. It's going to be a twofer. Um, but in the meantime, make sure that you're following us on the social media. At Twitter, you will find Birdie at, at BirdMoney. I am at Jared Jones underscore. You can find us at, at DoomRocket underscore. Make sure to say hello. And if there are any films you'd like us to cover for Anti-Monitor Podcast, please do not hesitate to let us know. In the meantime, over there, that's Bird. I'm Jared. And from all of us at DoomRocket.com... You know what keeps going through my head? Where's my sandwich? <laughs>